Father, would you now, by your spirit, take this word and allow it to live afresh and anew in our lives and in our hearts. And though it be to many a familiar text, may these words take on new depth and new meaning as we understand just what it means to say that Jesus is our Messiah, that Jesus is Lord. So would you overcome the sinful nature, Lord, of my heart today, so that you and you alone would be honored and glorified, for we ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So the scripture in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the prophet writes, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is for you today, God's people, the word of God. And by its truth, may we come to know just exactly who Jesus is over against all the voices of our world and our culture, that Jesus is Lord forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So about two and a half years ago, there was a little controversy of sorts that started uh, in Christian circles, in the Christian church, when during the Super Bowl in 2022, uh, a new kind of ad campaign, a marketing campaign, you would call it, was launched by the Green family who owns Hobby Lobby, and it was called He Gets Us. Maybe you've seen some of these videos, but in 2022, the Green family bought two 30-second spots that cost $20 million, and this campaign was launched. They did it again, two more spots at the 2023 Super Bowl. It's been viewed, uh, videos have been shown at various athletic events on TV, but now if you go to their website, there are probably 25 or 30 different videos, and the purpose of the campaign was to try and make Jesus a little more accessible, a little more understandable, uh, a little more user-friendly, so to speak. And so there are a lot of these different videos, but just a few examples. There's one uh, where Jesus is depicted as a a caring man, and he goes out into the world, and he sees the the suffering and the hunger and the conflict and the poverty, and he says, I'm going to have a big dinner party. I'm going to invite all these people to my house, and there's going to be a great feast. And as people gather around the table, they'll learn to appreciate and understand and love each other in spite of all their differences. But there were still people who didn't come to the feast because they didn't like the people who were different than they were. And the tagline says, Jesus welcomes everyone to his table. He gets us. In another video, there's this family that's just in total disarray. There's conflict and yelling and anger, and all of them are trying to be right. And the tagline says, Jesus had a messy family too. He gets us. 
There was still another where Jesus is an activist influencer. He's going around and speaking before large crowds. They're angry people confronting each other. In some of the scenes, there's vandalism. And it says that Jesus spoke against the establishment. The establishment couldn't control him, so they nailed him to a cross. The tagline says, Jesus got canceled too. He gets us. And so... If nothing else, they're provocative. They make you think. You stand back and go, okay, that was an interesting depiction. Is, is that really who Jesus is? I mean, is that an authentic presentation? And it really just mirrors, it echoes the same question that people are asking on this Christmas Eve all over the world, the same question we've been debating for 2,000 years, and that is just who exactly is this Jesus? Can we nail down for sure who he is? Well, when the campaign launched, all these people start weighing in on the whole, the, the left side politically and socially started to say things. Maybe you've heard of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, liberal congresswoman from New York. She said, something tells me Jesus would not spend millions of dollars on a Super Bowl ad to make fascism look benign. So people on the left hated it. Well, then all of a sudden, people on the right started to weigh in. Albert Moeller, well-known Baptist pastor, leader in the Christian church, he said, there's a lot of imagery about human problems and social ills, but no particular reference to the gospel or the plan of salvation. So there's no way someone would become a Christian by looking at what was conveyed. Other people on the right, theologically, uh, spiritually, began to say it's insufficient. It doesn't really depict the entire gospel. No one's going to be changed by watching any of these videos. Our our Reno, who edits a pretty well-known Christian magazine, said, modern culture is less receptive to a demanding Jesus who says, if your right eye causes you to sin, then you should tear it out. Or someone who sternly forbids divorce. He needs to be softened a bit. So he was kind of in favor of it. And then still others said, well, no, no, Jesus is about prosperity. Jesus was a wealthy man. Remember, they brought him gold at his birth. And then still others said, well, what about the Jesus of Revelation whose eyes were blazing like fire? That's the Jesus that we believe in. And and you stand back and there's so many other opinions. There's so many other voices. Finally, Christian Smith, who's a professor of sociology at Notre Dame, so arguably a very Christian school, he said, the fact is, there's so many voices out there. How can you possibly know or choose? You just pick whatever appeals or doesn't appeal to you. And I'm like, wait a second. You're a PhD at a Christian college, and you're basically saying, you know what you do with Jesus? You just throw a dart at a wall and hope you hit something good. You just pick what you want. And I think in so many ways, that's what is happening to us in our world. Justin Bailey may have put it best in his book, Interpreting Your World. He said this, how can we know that our religious vision gets it right? And I, we, we hear that from outside Christian circles, especially on Christmas Eve. All you Christians get together and you think you've got a monopoly on truth. How arrogant of you. And we start to shrink back a little bit and go, how do we know that our view of this is the right view when there are so many other views? 
Bailey goes on. He says, God may be there, but as long as you're kind to others and don't hurt anyone, do specific ideas about God really make a difference? Our religious uncertainty breeds indifference or at least indecision. Our religious uncertainty breeds indifference or at least indecision. And I certainly see that happening in our culture and in our world. And it's the reason that we don't have this kind of crowd every other Sunday of the year. You know why? Because we're just indifferent. Because we're indecisive. We haven't really figured out exactly what we think of Jesus. And because we haven't figured out who he is, we don't find him to be that important. There are a lot of you who are indifferent and indecisive that are here today, but there are also a host of other people here. There's some of you here today that are grieving and you're broken. There's some people here today who are lost and you're confused or you're wounded and you feel a deep sense of loneliness. In all of those cases, we're still trying to figure out the answer to the same question, and that is, who is Jesus? And friends, this is why on Christmas Eve, in the difficulties and the challenges of our world, that doctrine matters. What we teach every other Sunday matters to us. What we taught this past fall on the divine design for how God made us as men and women, it matters today. What we talked about last summer when we for 12 weeks studied Leviticus for all you guests. Yes, we did Leviticus for 12 weeks and we're all still here to talk about it. We're still a church. It's why what we're gonna talk about in 2024 when I preach through the book of Revelation, it's why doctrine matters. Those words matter because if we continue to strip Jesus down, if we continue to take away his power, his majesty, his authority, and we just make him the kind of Jesus that is palatable to us, then when the chips are down and you walk in darkness and your wife gets breast cancer and you go to a Jesus that you need to be solid, you need him to be the foundation of your life, you're gonna find he slips through your fingers like sand. There's nothing to him because you've rendered him impotent. You've taken everything away from him. But that's not the Jesus that I know. The Jesus that I know is worthy. The Jesus that I know is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Jesus that I know is the one that God has revealed in his scriptures. We don't have to reimagine him. We don't need to make him more palatable. God has told us in his word who he is. Who is he? He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. And he's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords and he's the God that you need because he's the God that gives you life. And I'm not wound up this morning at all. <laughs> wonderful counselor. The word wonderful in Hebrew right there, it means actually miraculous. So when God says, this is who Jesus is, we don't have to guess. We don't need to reimagine. He says, Jesus is a miraculous, powerful counselor. What do counselors help us do? They help us find wisdom. They help us make choices. They help us find the right path. 
And all through this, the series we did during the fall, that was the question that came up almost more than any other, was I just want to know what to do. I'm in this situation, and I just don't know what to do. We're hungry for wisdom. And in Matthew 7, 28, remember, it says that when Jesus went out to teach, the people were astonished because they'd never heard teaching like that. They'd never heard counsel and wisdom about life and choices. They'd never heard anything like that before. Proverbs 8, 14 speaks of God. He says, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. And James chapter one says, if any of you lacks wisdom, just ask for it. Jesus is our wonderful counselor, but remember, he's not just gonna zap you with it. You're not just gonna be walking down the road and suddenly discover that you're wise. You actually have to seek it. You have to be in his word. You have to seek the wise counsel of others, which is why community matters. It's why worship matters. It's why being together and belonging to a community of faith matters because it's in those spaces that we rediscover and learn once more that Jesus is actually our wonderful counselor. Second, he's our mighty God. This is Isaiah's way of telling us about the deity of Jesus because the word mighty comes from Psalm 24, 8. It's used to describe the kingship, the glory of God. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. It's a military word. It says to us that not only is Jesus fully God, but there is no power, there is no molecule that exists in the world that can ever rise up to defeat or thwart his purpose or plan. And even though we can look at our world today and it can feel utterly overwhelming, and we don't know what's going to happen or what's going to turn out. This is when we go and we go, oh, wait, I remember the doctrine of who Jesus is. He's a mighty God. And it's only his plans and his purposes that will prevail. Therefore, I can trust and rest in his hand that holds me. And in those moments, as Psalm 143 reminds us, when our spirits are faint, and we find out that we're the ones who are crying out for the mercy of God. Lord, would you just have mercy on me? He says in Exodus 14, 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. You know who Jesus is? He's the God who, when you can't swing your sword anymore, and when you just have to drop it, because you're exhausted. He says, that's okay, because I'm the one who's still in it. I'm the one who's still fighting. And right now, in ways you don't know or understand, Jesus is fighting for you because that's who he is. He's a mighty God. And then, He's our everlasting father. And while I know that sounds contradictory, you're like, how can the son be the father? He's not contradicting the doctrine of the Trinity because that's not what Isaiah is talking about. He says, again, deity of Jesus, 
Jesus is everlasting. He didn't have a beginning. He's not going to have an end. He's always been. He's everlasting. And who is he as the everlasting one? 2 Samuel 7.13 tells us, He shall build a house for my name. The prophet talking about Jesus. And I will establish the throne of his, Jesus' kingdom forever. So Jesus is going to be our everlasting king. It's his kingdom. He inaugurates his kingdom as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And how will he rule? He will rule in the tenderness and in the faithfulness of a father. Now, I'm sure that many of you have gotten wrapped up in the new Bachelor series called The Golden Bachelor. Uh, I have not, uh, I promise. I only know this because there was an article about it in the Wall Street Journal. And the article was a, a television commentator said that a scorned woman uttered the most honest, authentic statement in the history of the entire 20 plus year franchise of all the bachelors and bachelorettes. She had been uh, scorned, jilted the night before. He says to her, you're my beloved. You're the one. We're going to spend our lives together. I mean, he lays the whole thing on thick. And then the next day, he changes his mind, and he tells her, oops, you're not the beloved. And in that moment, as she is sobbing, she says, this is what always happens to me. And now it's happened again. I'm never chosen. Ever. I'm always left. And the reason those commentators said that, that that was the most authentic thing they'd ever heard in the entire series is because that is the fear that exists in all of us. That we would be told that we are loved only to be abandoned later. That we would, told, we would be told that we would matter and that someone's going to stick by us and they're going to be faithful only to find that they have cheated. They've left us. They've been disloyal. That will never happen in our faith in Jesus Christ because he's an everlasting father. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. And that's forever. And then he's the prince of peace. Prince, again, is a word in Hebrew that only refers to earthly leaders, not heavenly, spiritually, or religious ones. So, When Isaiah says, Jesus, who is Jesus? He's the prince of peace. That's his humanity. So mighty God is deity. Prince of peace is humanity. As he comes to the earth, as the angel said, they announced peace on earth, goodwill towards all people. That's what Jesus brought. But the world wasn't peaceful when Jesus arrived and his kingdom has not come in full. So it's not fully peaceable yet. But what do we know? That as you and I live as peaceful people, that we in our communities, we in our relationships, we in our households, we can be those who bring peace more and more and will give people a taste of that one who is the Prince of Peace as he takes confusing and hard and difficult and conflicted situations and in them as only his spirit can do. He brings calm and quiet and yes, peace. It is the words of Isaiah 11, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will be with the goat, the calf and the lion, and the yearling together 
and a little child will lead them. It's something that people try to take from us all the time. People try to take our peace. They try to scare us in innumerable ways. But when you realize in the providence of God that Jesus was incarnated for us so that as now the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords holds us, we can know the peace of the Lord because only he is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father. It's extraordinary what we say today. The truth that we declare, but I would tell you, you don't have to be indifferent or indecisive anymore because who doesn't want a Jesus who has been defined in those ways? Who doesn't want a God who exists outside of us? God is not part of time and space. And yet he chooses to enter in. Tim Keller always liked to tell the story of, a, of an English crime novelist, a detective novelist named Dorothy Sayers. And she wrote a series of, of detective novels and the, the detective at the center was a character named Lord Peter Whimsey. And he was kind of a sad, lonely, insecure person, but he had a knack for, for solving crimes. Well, about halfway through the series, she wrote about 13 of them. So in about book six or seven, a new character appears. And those scholars that studied her work said that as she wrote the series, that Dorothy Sayers fell in love with Lord Peter Wimsey. And so she wrote herself into the story. And midway through, there's a new woman who appears. Her name is Harriet Vane. And interestingly, just like Dorothy Sayers, Harriet Vane in the stories, she's the first woman to ever graduate from Oxford. Just like Dorothy Sayers, Harriet Vane is a writer of detective novels. They believe that she wrote herself into the story because she loved him and wanted to save him. And that's exactly what happens at the end of the series. Friends, out of love, on this Christmas, God, who is outside our story, but the author of it, he sees us flailing and floundering. So in order to save us, he writes himself in. And he's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God who is relentlessly fighting for you. He's an everlasting father who will never let you go. And he's the prince of peace who can quiet the most anxious heart by the wonders of his love. I pray today that in this coming year that you will no longer be indecisive or indifferent, that you're not gonna be someone who just throws a dart at a wall hoping you'll get it right. I pray that you will go and find in God's word who God has already told us that his son Jesus is. He's no less than the King of kings and the Lord of lords and your savior. Let us pray. Father, it is indeed hard at times 
with so many voices trying to get us to pay attention to their view of life. It's, it's just hard to hear. It's hard to know. How do we know that our religious version is the right one? Lord, I'm so grateful that, that we know because you chose to enter the story. You know, we know because by becoming like us, you revealed yourself to us in a way that we could understand. And so we need not be indifferent today to the wonder and the truth of Jesus, who is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. May he be born in us afresh and anew this night. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.